Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, John Schmidt. I'm John Schmidt, senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I want to welcome everybody watching us on the web and at our locations all over the place. We're glad that you are along for the ride today with our, another installment in our series on parables, because parables explain to us what God thinks about things through the use of some short stories that really kind of capture our imagination. And the idea is, if you understand the story uh, about something that we see every day, well, then you'll understand something that we don't see every day, and that's God's will, and that we can't figure out on our own. So today we're going to look at an amazing story entitled The uh, Parable of Three Stewards. If you need a pen, there's an outline by that name, The Three Stewards, in your bulletin. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be glad to bring one to you. Um, But I'm going to have a word of prayer and ask God to speak to us. The point of parables is to show us something, so we're going to ask God to do exactly that. Lord, I thank you that Jesus taught in parables so we could understand things we'd never figure out on our own. Lord, I thank you you took the time to um, come down to the earth. Uh, Lord, first of all, you came to earth to die on the cross for our sins. But more than that, uh, in addition to that, Lord, you came to show us who you are and explain what you think about things. And use these amazing stories so we can understand your mind and capture your heart. So today I pray that you'll speak, move me out of the way, and we'll, we'll understand some important things about stewardship and managing the things you've entrusted in our care. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, point one on your outline kind of summarizes this, where where we're headed today. One day, when Jesus' disciples asked him about his second coming, he told them a parable about three stewards. Now, I just want to say this. When Jesus, if you, this is from Matthew 25 and Matthew 24, they're asking Jesus, hey, when are you going to return? When's that all going to happen? What's it going to be like at the end of the world? And all these things. And Jesus gave them some descriptions. There'd be wars and rumors of wars and we're going to have times again in the not-too-distant future here. We're going to talk about parts of prophecy again. But every time that Jesus talked about prophecy, he told them, hey, don't worry about the day or the hour when all that happens. Here's what you need to worry about. You need to worry about doing the things I told you to do until I get back. Because when I get back, I want, you find, I want to find you busy, not just trying to figure out when I'm going to return, but I want to find you busy doing the things I told you to do. I mean, if Jesus told us the exact hour he was going to return, it'd be like it was when I was in college and I knew the exact day the paper was due. When did I start working on the paper when I knew that it was due on a certain date? When did I start working on it? Yeah, the night before. Well, maybe the night before. You know, it depends on when the class was. You know, when it was due at noon, maybe 8 a.m. or something. But you go back and read papers you wrote in college and you go, what was that all about? It was all about adrenaline and staying up the night before all night, pulling an all-nighter. But if I was really serious about learning the subject matter, I wouldn't have just tried to cram it all in. I'd have been working on it all along. And Jesus says, that's the way we're supposed to look at life. And you'll see that in this parable today, that it fits perfectly in a discussion about, hey, what are we supposed to be doing when Jesus comes back? How are we supposed to be living? And that's what he's concerned about. So a parable, again, is a short story that explains spiritual truth by using everyday objects and relationships. And we've been using that through this whole series. That's a great definition. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what it is. If I understand a parable is something you throw down, if I understand this, then you'll understand that. If you understand the story of the three stewards, you're going to understand something. This Because that would be something we could all see pretty easily, we can imagine. But Jesus says, if you understand that, then you understand how God thinks about how we should be using our time and our money and our opportunities and our skills and abilities for his glory. So that's what he's talking about. Now, again, I wanted to find something else. It's a parable of three stewards. What is a steward? Well, a steward is a person who looks after the property, personnel, or finances of another, an agent, a manager. 
If you have an IRA that is managed by an investment counselor, a financial advisor, that would be a steward. And I think all of you, like anybody else, if you have that in charge, I want reports from that man who's handling my retirement funds. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, oh, yeah. What are you doing with my money? And Jesus said, if you understand that kind of angle, then you understand how God thinks about the stuff he's entrusted to us. If I haven't gotten your interest yet, I will. Okay, I promise you, this story is a good one. All right? So... The disciples said, hey, Jesus, what's it going to be like at the end of the world? Gives them a few clues and says, don't try to figure out the day or the hour. Then he goes into a series of parables, and here's one of them. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man. This is from Matthew 25. Uh, the, illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, and he entrusted his money to, to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And if you'd underline dividing it in proportion to their abilities, that's important here. He then left on his trip. Well, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But that servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give account on how they'd used his money. The servant to whom he'd entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. But then the servant with the one bag of silver came, and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Not a penny of it's missing here. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Now, this is a good story. There's a little bit more of it to it yet, and we'll hit that in a minute. But I want to stop right here because there are some interesting things that it brings up. And Jesus tells this story, and he says, if you understand that somebody who left his money with his servants to invest and to multiply and they did nothing with it, that he'd be angry, then you understand how it will be at the end of the world. If you're asking me about the end of the world when I come back, you know what will really make me angry? Is if you guys didn't do anything with what I gave you. That will tick me off. Love Jesus. Okay, I mean, that's what it says. That's what it says. I don't think I'm stretching it here. Okay, so here are a couple of points that are very clear for all of us. A, point A, Everything we have belongs to God. We only manage his things for a short time. This parable teaches us that although for all the world, I mean, we sign deeds and we sign off on, uh, you know, a registration for a car, vehicle registration, and a title, whatever it is, and all these things. And, and we would say we're the owner of these things. And God says, well, yeah. I mean, Jesus says, well, yeah, you can see that. But let me tell you how God views it. If you understand how God views things, well, understand this story of the stewards. Because God really sees those things as things entrusted to you to use for his glory. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him, Psalm 24.1. 
First Timothy 6, 7, we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Anybody ever seen a hearse with a trailer hitch? I mean, they don't make them. You know, there's a story told of a man who was convinced the Bible was wrong on that, and he was pretty wealthy. And so he was diagnosed with a terminal disease. He knew he was going to die in the next few months, so he went to his accountant and his financial manager. He said, I want to liquidate all my assets, and I want to, except for my house, and I want you to put it, all my money in a big chest, and I want you to... He had a multi-story mansion, and he said, I want that chest placed directly above my bed on the floor, right above where I'm sleeping. And he spent his last days in that bed, and his wife and his son came to see him. Why did you do all that? And he said, well, I'm going to take it with me. So when I die, I'm going to way up to heaven. I'm going to grab the chest and take the money with me. And so his wife and his son were with him. And sure enough, a few months later, the man passed away. And the wife and the son climbed the stairs, went up to the floor, and the chest full of money was still there. And the wife turned to her son, and she said, I told that old fool he should have put it in the basement. But um, anyway, um, yeah, you'll figure it out later if you didn't get that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the deal is it wouldn't have mattered whether it was above his bed or below it. You're not taking it with you. So if I can't take it with me, what am I supposed to be doing with it With it now? And Jesus said, well, you've got to think of yourself like a manager. And if you flip your outline over, it brings us to the next life application. We need to use God's stuff to do God's will. Here's the moral of the story. Would you say that with me, please? We need to use God's stuff to do God's will. That's the whole moral. We're just managers of it. Timothy, again, we read that we can't take it with us. Here's a little more from that same chapter. Paul said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Paul says, look, we've got to teach people this, that we're just managers. Tell people, hey, you can't take it with you. A gentleman named Larry Burkett, who ran a financial Christian financial ministry, he died a few years ago, but he was always famous for saying, do your giving while you're living so you won't be crying when you're dying. And it's true. So here's, here would be how we put this into practice. If I'm going to do God's will with my stuff, have I sat down and prepared a budget? If I'm married, have my spouse and I, have we talked about our financial goals, and is one of those going to be what we do with a share of our money for ministry? Have we talked about these things? Have we prayed about these things? Have we planned for this? And if not, hey, if you ever want to come talk about this, our staff, we'd love to talk about this. All of us need to do this sometime. I mean, I have people that tell me, well, so I'm supposed to give all my money away? No. I mean, God gives us what we need to meet our needs and for our enjoyment. But beyond that, we need to determine, hey, when's enough enough? And if I've never had these discussions, and if I've never sat down and prayed about this, today's a good day. Because Jesus said, hey, look, guys, you know what I'm going to be concerned about at the end of the world? You know what I want you to be concerned about with the end of the world? Are you busy doing my will with the stuff I've given you? And it's not just money. It's also your skills and abilities. Have I taken time? If I've got a skill, am I using it for God's glory? Talked to a woman here last week, and she's she had moved down here, and uh, she said that uh, it was just important for her to get involved. 
in ministry, and she didn't know where else she could be involved. Well, she got involved, some of the people have got, in her case, she got involved just taking care of kids on Sunday mornings. She loves grandkids, so she could take care of kids. Is that being involved in ministry? Yeah. She's a great grandmother. Every kid that gets around her, she's a kid magnet. She's using her gifts for God's glory. We have other people here. You know what they do? They drive for meals on wheels. They go and deliver meals. They have a car. They can give a smile and a hug. They can pray for people. And they have a GPS on their phone. (laughs) Okay? And so they're using all that for God's glory. Does that count? Sure it does. What skills do I possess? What abilities do I have? Am I using what I have for God's glory? Can I, use, can I budget part of my time? Can I budget part of my money? Am I even thinking this way? And that's what Jesus said. I got to explain this with a story because otherwise you're going to think like the world thinks, like you did this all on your own and God's not going to hold us accountable one day. And that would be a huge mistake. And so if you want to get ready for eternity, here's how. Use God's stuff that he's entrusted to you to do God's will. Now, point B God entrusts each of us with resources and opportunities in proportion to our abilities. I had you underline that, and that's terribly important. One of the stewards got five bags of silver, the other one got two, and the other one got one, according to their abilities. Now, this is awfully important because if you load down the guy who can only handle one bag of silver worth of investing, you give him five, it's going to wear him out. All of us have met people who are overloaded in their workplace. Some of you are going, have I met them? I look at them in the mirror every morning. And I'm getting dressed. I mean, I'm just completely overwhelmed. And life is miserable because it's just so heavy. I've got too many responsibilities. I can't get it done. Well, God doesn't want us to live that way. In fact, God's going to give us each according to the abilities we have. By the same token... If you've got a lot of capacity, you've got a lot of headroom here. I mean, you can handle more than what you're doing. Well, to give you only one small assignment is almost kind of an insult. But God knows what we can handle, what each one of us can handle, and he's going to constantly push us to develop it to the ultimate we can. It's not a question of how much we have. It's a question, what have we done with what we do have? Does this make sense to everybody? So it's terribly important. In fact, in Luke 12, Jesus also said this, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. From one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. If you've been given a lot, then you've got to use it. If you haven't been given as much, God's not expecting, there's not a race here. There's not a competition. It's just a matter of, am I doing the best I can? So, a couple of li- on a life application on this is, I must believe that God has given me resources, abilities, and opportunities. And I'd really like you to write your name in there. Let me read it with my name in there. I must believe that God has given John resources, abilities, and opportunities. And some of us don't. Some of us would say, well, no. Or they'd say, well, yeah, John, I do believe God's given you opportunities and abilities and resources. Yeah, okay, I'll believe that for John Schmidt, but I won't believe that for myself. Well, you need to. God's given you opportunities I don't have. He's given you abilities I don't have. And he's given you resources that I may never have access to. question is, am I going to make the most of what God's given me, and are you going to make the most of what God's given you? A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have, 1 Corinthians 12. Some people have the gift of leadership. 
Some people have a gift of wisdom. Some people have a gift of counseling. They do. Some of you have a gift of singing. I've stood next to some of you. Some of you don't. Okay? Let's just make sure that we understand that. Okay? That's fine. We don't all need it. Okay? We have some very talented worship leaders here. Good for them. They have gifts and abilities and talents. Some people have a gift of prayer, a gift of giving. I mean, there are people who have gifts of prophecy, and other people can do, they can pray for healing and things, and it's amazing how God answers those prayers. But what's God given you? Are you making the most of it? Am I? That's the question. For we are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Would you read that out loud with me, please? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, why would God plan from eternity past good things for me to do and then not give me the gifts or the abilities or the time to do it? That would seem like poor planning. God is not a poor planner. So if the Holy Spirit has given me gifts... He's given me passions. He's given me skills. He's given me life experiences other people don't have. Well, the question is, am I going to use them? And will I really believe that I am God's masterpiece, that he has something important for me to do? Maybe with my kids. Maybe with my neighbors. Maybe with my best friend. Maybe at school. Maybe at work. Maybe in the church. Maybe in the community. Maybe at two or three of of the above. But am I praying this way? Am I thinking this way? Or is it just, hey, what's for lunch? And am I going to get the latest gadget? That's not word to live for. Keeping up with the Joneses, whoever they are. Here's another life application. We must not waste time comparing ourselves with others. You've heard me mention this now, but let me be point blank on this. It's a waste of time to compare. The guy who received one, God wasn't going to ask him, the manager or the master wasn't going to ask him to earn five. He'd have been happy with one. He was happy that the guy had two earned two. But as it was, the guy didn't do anything. And we'll talk about why that is in just a minute. But there's no need to compare. I'm not in competition with Billy Graham as somebody stands in front of people. Thank goodness. I mean, that'd be terrible. I can't keep up with Billy. I'm not supposed to. I'm grateful for Billy. The question is, am I going to be the best pastor God has made me to be? What about you? The best scout leader God made you to be? Or den mother? Or farmer? Or friend? You can go a lot of different directions with this. Some of you have a lot of friends. Some of you have a lot of influence. Some of you have access to places for ministry others of us can't even dream of. Are you making the most of it? Am I? Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. This is Galatians 6.4 in the message translation. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others. And that is so true. I mean, two big errors the devil would love to get us into. And again, always remember that the devil just doesn't want us to stay on the path. He wants us to get in a ditch on either side of the road. 
And so one ditch is, I don't have anything God can use me for. The other is, I can't believe I'm not asked to be in charge of everything because I'm better than everyone else. And that's beneath me. No. The truth is, somewhere in the middle is where we're supposed to stay. God has given us talents and abilities. I may not be the best there ever was at what they're supposed to be. I'm just supposed to be the best I can be. I find that really comforting. That I don't have to compare myself with you or with somebody else. I just have to do what God wants me to do. If that's comforting to you as well, would you say amen? amen. Yeah. The guy with two just had to do to earn two. The guy with five earned five. He was a high-capacity steward. The other one, not as much. The one wasn't much yet. God wasn't trying to crush him or overwhelm him. Just saying, I mean, the master was just trying to let him do what he needed to do and empower him as far as he could go. And that brings us to point C, God rewards faithfulness. He trusts us with, the, with his things according to our abilities, and what he rewards is faithfulness, and he punishes laziness. Here's the rest of the story. Then the master ordered, take the money from this servant, the guy who just dug a hole and didn't do anything with it, and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, there will be an accounting one day. And if you say, wow, so are we supposed to, is this teaching we earn our way into heaven? No. It's the other way around. If we really understand that we are God's children, we're saved by his grace, we're here by his, for his glory, well then, why on earth would I not understand that he's given me opportunities to put to use whatever he's put at my disposal for his glory? But if I'm wicked and say, well, God didn't do anything and it's, I don't have to give anything to him, well, then there will be punishment. Now, this is terribly important to understand. He rewards faithfulness. Notice it says, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't say, well done, good and beautiful servant. Well done, super intelligent servant. Well done, well-educated servant. Well done, well-connected servant. You don't have to be, we don't have to be well-educated, well-connected, super intelligent, super beautiful it doesn't have to be that at all. We just have to be faithful. God rewards faithfulness. And faithfulness is just following through with what you know to do. Doing it. Getting it done. So, this brings us to the last point. Point two. Our view of God determines whether or not we will be faithful. So what would keep us from being faithful? But it all comes back to our view of God. I mean that... Servant with one talent, he didn't have a high view of his master. And you'll see that in a little bit. Now here are some things that the Bible points out. These are some, a couple of bad views about God. Two bad views and one right one. The first one is that God doesn't help us at all. Deuteronomy 8, you may say to yourself, it's my power and the strength of my hands that have produced this wealth for me. Remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I mean, I could sit there and say, well, God didn't earn this money. I did. I did all the work. That's what that wicked servant was saying, by the way. If you're wondering, what does that mean? Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. What he's saying is, yeah, you gave me this bag of silver, and I go and invest it, and then I earn another bag of silver. Well, you're going to take it as your own. Well, I'm the one who earned it, and then you took it. And he forgot all along 
that we never would have had anything had the master not given it to him. And that's why he said, you're so wicked and lazy. And there would have been plenty for him to live on. Now, if I invest money in my retirement account and I have somebody managing it for me and they take all the proceeds and they just give me my original amount back 20 years later, I will be upset. How about you? I didn't lose any of it. Well, I could have dug a hole in my backyard and done that. Well, you're taking money you didn't earn. I earned it. You got a commission. What are you talking about? These guys would have had plenty to live on. They weren't starved to death. Don't read that into this. What this guy's saying is, you collected money you didn't personally earn. I earned it. I should keep it. Even though I can't take it with me. And it's not mine. And the master goes, you wicked and lazy servant. You got this all backwards. And Moses was writing here in Deuteronomy 8. And he says, when you get into the promised land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And you've got all these nice homes and all these big crops. You may say to yourself, it's my power and the strength of my hands that have produced this wealth for me. Remember the Lord your God. It's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Where would I be unless the Lord put breath in my lungs? If you've got a good brain, who gave you that good brain? If you have good health, who gives you that good health? Well, the Lord does. And that's why we say grace before we eat. And we say, Lord, thank you for our food. We don't want to take that for granted. It's selfish and wrong to think that we, we take care of ourselves. He takes care of us. And he's a generous God and a good God. And if you agree with that statement, would you say amen? Yeah. Here's another kind of bad attitude toward God, a bad view of God, a faithful and sensible servant, Jesus said. This is from the chapter right before. This is Matthew 24. A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and find that ser- finds that that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But if that servant is evil and he thinks, ah, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk, well, you know what that master will do? He'll return unannounced and unexpected. He'll cut that servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, Jesus is talking about, hey, what's it going to be like at the end of the world for people who go, ah, Jesus isn't coming back. They've been talking about that for thousands of years. He says, I will come back. Peter tells us later that the reason he's delaying is so more people can come. So the question is, you know, and so, ah, I got plenty of time. I'll cram for it if he shows up. Mm-mm. God wants us to live our whole lives for him fully devoted to him right now. And if I have a view of God that he doesn't really provide anything, well, then I'm not going to give him anything. And I'm not going to use my stuff for his glory because it's my stuff. And if I don't believe he's coming back for a long time, there's no urgency to this. And I'll put it off and I'll procrastinate on every kind thing I was ever called to do or everything that pushed me out of my comfort zone. I'll say, I'm not going to do it. But finally, there's the right view of God, and this is David in 1 Chronicles 29. He said, Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you, and we praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people, that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. 
David said, you know, even when I give you an offering, Lord, I'm only giving you a portion of what I've already received. When my kids were small, I wanted them to buy me Christmas gifts. And so I would give them money. They could go with their grandfather and they would buy me a Christmas gift. Now, only a fool thinks if I gave him 10 bucks, I was 10 bucks to the good on the transaction. Okay. They give me a gift. I go, fine. I paid for it. No, that's not what I said. I gave them that money. I said, thank you very much. Because you know what it taught them? It taught them how to be thoughtful. It taught them how to be generous. It taught them how to give a gift to their dad. Well, I'm a good dad. You go, well, sure, John, that's what you do. When you raise kids, you give them stuff, you teach them how to handle it, so when they're on their own, they'll have the right way of thinking. Right, you understand the parable. Jesus, what's it going to be like at the end of the world? Well, you know, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and famines in various places. There's going to be false prophets and people claiming to be me. But you don't have to worry about that. When I show up, you'll know it'll be me. Oh, and um, don't worry about the day or the hour. I don't want you to be fixated on that at all. Instead, let me tell you a story. It's like a master who went away on a long trip, and he entrusted his stewards, three stewards, with his wealth. Two of them came back and had done something with it, and they were richly rewarded. One did nothing with it because he had a bad view and hated the master and wasn't going to give him anything and was afraid to take risks, and so he was punished. Don't be like him. Be like the faithful servants. Because then that one bag of silver was given to the one who already had ten. Now he had five, and he earned five more. Why? Well, because he's the one who's going to do something with it. If you and I want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant, the only question is, Lord, what opportunities have you given me? What resources are at my disposal? And am I willing to use God's stuff to do his will? Today. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word, which always guides us in all matters of faith and practice. I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity Um, to reflect on what you're doing in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, burn this story into our hearts and you'd remind us that what you want us to do is make the most of what we have. I pray that we won't compare ourselves to others. I pray that we won't walk around pretending that we don't have any abilities. Lord, you can use even the smallest thing for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that whatever we have access to, Lord, we pray about it. Lord, do you want me to use this? Then show me how. And then you give us the strength to obey. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts, the opportunities, the abilities, the resources you give us. Help us make the most of them. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.